Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. blue sugar everywhere. Unbelievable. Hey guys, welcome to Awaken Church. How's everyone doing tonight? Yeah, you guys excited to be here? Was that, do you guys enjoy that? Was that lame, fun, thumbs up? Was that, was that okay? Yeah? You guys laugh, have some fun? All right, you guys are still taking it. It's okay, we'll get there. No worries. Well, hey, happy Easter, everyone. So we at Awaken Church uh, have, for the last... Um, seven, almost eight months now, been worshiping on Saturday evenings. And so uh, this is one of the few times of the year where, like Jeff said and Neil said as well, it can be a little awkward to celebrate a historically Christian day, which is on Sundays on a Saturday night. But we appreciate you guys being here tonight. Uh, hopefully, uh, like Jeff said, this has been a normal interaction for you. You've gotten used to it. If you're not used to the Saturday nights, and again, this is still kind of you're adjusting to awakened culture, let me just give you some encouragement. So one of the best things about being a Saturday night gathering church is that you get a chance all day tomorrow to spend time with your family and friends, right? And that part of what you love doing with Easter is spending time having good food, hanging out with people that you love. So you get a chance the entire day to do that. We're thankful, again, that you've chosen to be with us tonight. So we want to have a little fun on our Easter Saturday night gathering. But we are uh, excited. We're launching a brand new series tonight uh, called King Jesus. And normally in the past, we've done, at least I've done in my past as well, a kind of a one-off Easter message, right, just around Easter. But we've really decided in the next four weeks, including tonight, to do an entire series called King Jesus. And, and, and to be fair, we felt like for us as a church, we didn't want to just dedicate one week to talking about Easter and Jesus. We felt like this was a really good time for our church to stop and pause and posture ourselves back to some basic questions, really about who is Jesus. And so as a church, Jeff talked about this really well in the welcome piece, you are a, probably a part of our missional communities. Over 80% of our church is involved in these things called missional communities. But one of the most powerful elements that happens is when we choose to come together. There are things that can only happen in your missional communities, but likewise, there's also really only some special things that can happen when we gather together. And so I'm going to encourage you and really challenge you, whether you're here for the first time, whether you call Awaken uh, home regularly, to really be committed for these next four weeks total in this series and be a part of our gatherings here on Saturday nights. Because I think there's some really powerful, not only theology, what we believe about Jesus, some practical application that we want to give you about really who is Jesus to awaken church and how we can leverage that to the world around us. So I really hope that you make this a priority over the next several weeks to be a part of our gathering. As we kind of start talking about the Easter message, right, there's a couple of major elements to this. And I want to kind of just lay a foundational piece here for us for the King Jesus series, and I kind of start with the question that's there on your program, kind of the title of the message, if you will, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, I grew up going to church, being a part of a faith community. Uh, maybe you did, or maybe you got burned in the process. Maybe you're here tonight not having been a part of a faith community, maybe ever or for a very long time. 
But regardless, Jesus is one of those figures that whether you subscribe to the Christian faith or whether you are someone who is more agnostic, uh, an atheist in the room, whether you're someone who is a skeptic, a doubter, or a believer, Jesus is one of the most, let me back up, Jesus is the most talked about figure in the history of the world. Regardless of what you believe about him, there's never been one person talked about, sung about, written about, painted about, everything about Jesus. It's remarkable that the man who is the centerpiece of our faith in so many ways gets so much publicity. He's become the most controversial figure across the world for thousands of years now. And even before Jesus ever appeared on the scene, you collect all the controversy about before then, and all the paintings, all the writings, all the songs and literature put together, Jesus is still today the most talked about person in the history of the world. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born to a woman who was likely a teenager at the time. Jesus' earthly father was likely a carpenter and a stonemason. Jesus had brothers and sisters, like maybe many of you do, and for most of his life lived in obscurity. It was not something we see a whole lot of, of writings about what Jesus' life was like prior to his ministry. And then around the age of 30 years old, Jesus began his earthly ministry, preaching, healing, hanging out with people, and beginning to teach people and invite people to this brand new concept called the kingdom of heaven. And it's in this journey for about three years that Jesus begins to reach thousands of people, traveling hundreds of miles but never leaving a radius of 100 miles from his hometown. Jesus spent most of his ministry and adult life being homeless, going from home to home, from meal to meal. Jesus was non-judgmental. He hung out with the hooker and the saint. He hung out with the tax collector and the religious leader. Jesus hung out with the business leaders and the fishermen, men, women, children. Jesus spent time with everyone, the military and the protester. Jesus spent time with everyone. So who is this man who spends so much time in such short amount of years reaching a couple of thousand people collectively, and yet we still spend so much time trying to figure out and ask the question, maybe one of the most asked questions, who is Jesus? So maybe for you tonight, Jesus is your Messiah, your Savior, and so you gather here on Easter weekend to celebrate the risen King. That's why I'm here, because I want to do that communally with my family of believers. Maybe you're still figuring out who Jesus is, and like many people in the Gospels, people would say he was a good teacher and a good man. But you're not sure about the whole Messiah-Savior part. Jesus says, hey, that's okay. You're welcome here anyway. One of the greatest things about my King and Savior, Jesus Christ, is that all are welcome at the table. Unfortunately, the church has failed to learn that lesson well. The church collectively, the big C church globally, somehow thinks that it's an inclusive club in the sense, sorry, exclusive club, that only certain people can belong to this. But Jesus set out his mission for three years to clearly state that he was about anybody and everyone. The woman, the child, whether you were from the same tribe, spoke the same language, it didn't matter where you were from or what your story was, Jesus was for you as a person. Jesus believed and lived out a faith 
that stated that everyone was made in the image of his heavenly father. Regardless of what they did, he knew who they looked like. Jesus is the best example that we have when we celebrate Easter weekend, remembering not only what he did on the cross, but who he is, the person. You see, culturally, we spend a lot of time, as Americans especially, but really across the world today, humanity is obsessed with this idea of what do you do? Right? It's a common question, right? If I've never met you before, I'll let you, hey, my name is Philip. Small talk doesn't go long before I ask you a question. Hey, what do you do for a living? Because we define identity around things that we do. And so one of the things that I began to kind of figure out, how do I want to craft the series for King Jesus? What do we, where do I want to go with it this, this next few weeks? I thought, man, what better way than to spend tonight kind of unpacking five basic truths around who is Jesus? Now, for some of you uh, that you've been a part of the faith community tonight, I'm going to ask you to kind of step back for a second to not be numb to the Easter weekend that you're experiencing and really ask yourself, do I live like I believe this? Let me ask that question again. Not do you believe this, but do you live like you believe this? Those are two distinctly different questions. I'm not asking you, does your head acknowledge who God is? I'm asking you, does your life reflect that you believe Jesus is who he says he is? So five things we're going to walk through tonight. I'm going to go through them kind of fast. I'm going to let Jesus speak for himself because he does it pretty well in the Gospels far better than I could, okay? So here we go. Number one, Jesus is God. Number one, Jesus is God. Seems pretty elementary, right? But at the end of the day, this is an important part of who Jesus is. Because when Jesus enters the scene, he enters in as fully God and fully man. Oftentimes within Christianity, that's referred to as the God-man. And it's in this process that we understand that God, although an incredibly humble and servant-type individual, never backed away from the understanding that he was God. A claim that many would eventually take him to the cross over. So it's important that we use this one first as Jesus is God because it really helps us understand so much really about who Jesus is. And John chapter 4 is a pretty well-known story about Jesus interacting with a woman at a well. The woman belonged to a different tribe than Jesus did. And so there was natural boundaries that these two people would never interact. Not only just the simple fact also of culturally at that time, men and women did not usually speak to each other, especially during the middle of the day. So Jesus interacts with this woman who he naturally should not be interacting with. And Jesus loves that because it's in those moments where he regularly says, hey, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but watch this. I'm going to do it anyway. That's who Jesus is. Because he doesn't do what we expect him to do. He does what he wants to do. It's hard for us sometimes to believe that because we want to keep Jesus in the little box that we have here. And we want Jesus to behave in this box. But Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go over here and break all the rules in the process. So John chapter 4, he meets this woman. I'm going to fast forward to the end of the story. The woman was not living a lifestyle that many people condoned. And in the process, although she acknowledged that Jesus was, uh, was probably a, a, a prophet or some kind of religious leader, and she acknowledged that through them having a pretty uh, truth-telling conversation, she comes to this moment of realization. This is what she says in John chapter 4. 
The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus only makes such a direct claim only a couple of times in the Gospels. But he doesn't nuance this, right? Jesus is really good at you asking him a question and then him saying, let me give you a question. And it frustrates the heck out of most people in the Gospels as it would to you and I, right? Could you imagine our conversation? We're sitting down for a beverage or a coffee or whatever you want. And uh, you keep saying, hey, how was your day? How was your day? What do you do for a living? No, what do you do for a living, right? You'd probably slap me and walk away, right? At least pay the bill in the process, right? But we wouldn't have a conversation very long. Jesus does this repeatedly. But in this situation, Jesus says to the woman, I am definitively the Messiah. See, Jesus does not back away from the claim that I am the God-man. Guys, this is really good news for us, but if you go back to John chapter 1, we're not going to read it. Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message. He says, Jesus came and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. It's actually the most theologically accurate translation of John chapter 1 from the original Greek, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And it's in that process that we understand that Jesus coming and being fully God and fully man is helping us understand not simply that he was on a rescue mission for humanity. Jesus came to reveal his identity to us. So I thought, what better way to kind of unpack this statement than to say this way? Jesus reveals his identity so that you and I could understand ours. Let me say that again. Jesus is God, and his purpose of revealing his identity is so that you and I could understand ours. You see, we get so caught up on Jesus coming and dying on the cross and then celebrating the resurrection power of Easter Sunday. I'm all about it, right? I love it. But make no mistake that Jesus came not just to accomplish a mission, he came to reveal who he was, not just what he would do. And you and I are invited into this process because once we understand who Jesus is, it becomes pretty clear who you and I are and who we aren't in the process. You see, our identity is shaped by understanding first and foremost who Jesus is. So it's less about what you do for a living, what accomplishments you have or have not done. It's more about do you reflect the image of Jesus in your life. So we understand our identity through understanding Jesus, and Jesus understood his identity as being the God-man. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is perfect. Jesus lived his entire adult life until he ascended to heaven without sin. Not a sinful thought, not a sinful action, right? Just on the way over here in traffic, right? I probably had 10 sinful thoughts, right? So, like, could you imagine living an entire life doing everything perfect, right? Now, either you've said it or you've been around someone who says it, right? It's a common phrase. No one's perfect, right? We've heard that phrase before. You've probably said it before. Jesus was perfect, right? It's hard to wrap our brains around that idea of perfection. It's hard for us to understand what true, sinless perfection looks like. But Jesus was perfect. The good news for you and I in this truth about Jesus being perfect is that perfection, the, perf the perfect life of Jesus, does something special to you and I. You see, when Jesus comes and lives a perfect life, the invitation, again, is not just simply to accomplish something on the cross. 
It's to model a way of living. And in the process of modeling a way of living to us, we understand how to be a new person. Jesus is not in the business of Philip 2.0 or fill in your name 2.0. He's not interested in upgrades, right? That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to give you a better version of yourself. He came to change everything about you. You see, Jesus is perfect, and that perfection causes transformation because when you and I interact with a perfect, perfect Jesus, we are forever changed and transformed. It's not just simply that you are made better. It's that you're made new. And that's a result of a perfect king and savior. You see, when, when I want to go about making improvements in my life, I find someone who's doing it better than I am, right? Seems logical, right? You guys do the same thing? Head nods are helpful, right? Thanks, guys. Right? If you want to go to the gym, if you want to learn how to cook, if you want to uh, do, start learning how to fix cars, if you want to pick up woodworking, if you want to do anything, you find someone who's doing it well, at least in your opinion, and in the process, you begin to learn from them, and you improve your art, craft, hobby, whatever it is, by watching and emulating what they do. We, as Christ followers, when we follow the way of Jesus, we don't just find someone who's doing it better. We find someone who did it best. You see, my natural reaction when someone does something wrong to me is not to turn the other cheek. It's to retaliate. The one that I follow who's perfect says, turn the other cheek. I have to learn that. Someone who does it better than me just knows how to be patient longer. You see, the difference is an upgrade of patience. I'm interested in turning the other cheek. That's a new transformation for Philip. When I want to figure out in the process, how do I love someone who irritates the mess out of me? I don't just figure out how to do better meditation from someone or yoga, or whatever the thing is people do for those kind of things, which I'm terrible at, all those things, right? I find someone who said, hey, bless those who persecute you to a man who, hungs, who hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the best version is what I'm interested in, not because I want to be the best, but because a life of transformation is far more interesting to me than an upgrade, so Jesus being God and being perfect is absolutely good news for me because it helps me understand not only who Jesus is, it helps me understand who I am and where God's trying to take me in the process. You guys tracking so far? Jesus is perfect. John chapter 8, he says this way, he's talking to the Pharisees and religious leaders. Jesus says, Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Modern Philip version of this. Hey, go ahead. Tell me what I've been doing wrong. Find one thing. They couldn't. They walked away. Jesus was perfect in every way. And that's not meant to cause division amongst he and us in the process. It's meant to be an invitation that you and I have something to look up to. The perfection is not meant to push you away. It's to bring you closer. So Jesus is God, Jesus is perfect. Number three, Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. Let's read a story together, Matthew chapter nine. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat, 
Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? There it is, number one again. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Part of the great story that we celebrate of Easter weekend is that Jesus reminds us through Easter weekend that forgiveness is available to all of us. No one else in history has made the claims that Jesus did in the Gospels. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Krishna, not Joseph Smith, not Moses. No one claims to be God out of those people. No one claims to forgive your sins. No one claims perfection. Jesus claims all three so far. Checks the box of all three. Jesus is unlike any other figure in history because of the fact that he offers us something different. You see, so often we view forgiveness as a transaction, right? Peter does something to wrong me, and then all of a sudden I forgive him. There's a transaction of words, and then we're back to reconciliation. The power of Jesus forgiving us is that it's a one-way gift. We call that grace. You don't have to do anything to earn it. He offers it to you freely. Jesus forgives. And the power of Jesus forgiving you and I is something that makes this gospel story so powerful. Because Jesus, the word repent in the Greek word, is not just talking about, again, you and I making a change. The word repent literally means to turn and do a 180 and walk in a different direction. So forgiveness that Jesus offers is, again, not about making a tweak or an adjustment in your life. Jesus offers forgiveness because he's interested in transformation of your life. Jesus is interested in the whole package, not an upgrade. And understanding who Jesus is helps us understand the power of forgiveness. You and I, we can forgive each other. By the end of the day, reconciliation is hard for humanity because there's brokenness in our hearts. And at the end of the day, the word grace is near impossible for humans to fully experience from one to the other. Because we always have strings attached to everything that we do because we have alternative motives to most of the things that we do, even the best of us. But the power of Jesus offering us forgiveness is that there's no strings attached. Number four, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. So Jesus comes down from heaven, moves into the neighborhood, lives a perfect life, claims to be God, forgives people's sins, heals the sick, heals the sick, and in the process he begins to cause brokenness to be made whole. He begins in the process to do all kinds of things within the hearts and the lives of people. But this is one of the ones that's pretty controversial, especially in the world we live in today, right? Because everyone wants to make the party for everybody. That Jesus is just one of the ways, right? But there's a lot of ways. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, we'll read it together. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' claim, and please hear me loud and clear, Jesus is exclusive. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will not figure it out apart from me. It is one of the most controversial statements that Jesus makes, but he says it directly for a reason, because he wants to leave no gray area here for debate. But the good news in this process, and listen closely, church, especially if you're a believer in the room, you get real excited that I said that because you're like, yeah, I know I believe that. I've been trying to tell my neighbor that or my friend at work that Jesus is the only way and they can't keep thinking that, you know, everyone can just coexist together and that they're wrong. And so you get all worked up about that. Here's the part that you need to hear. Yes, Jesus is exclusive. Jesus is also inclusive. Jesus welcomes everyone. Everyone. And the message that Jesus gives us is not one that says, get fixed and then join the club. Jesus says, I welcome you to my family and then we'll transform your life. Jesus offers that to every tribe, every nation, every gender, every race, every color, every tongue, everyone on the planet. The option is available for them to meet a loving Savior. And the church so often just like the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they did so often built these walls and extra walls and created extra walls to make it harder and harder for people to eventually become part of the Cool Kids Club. Jesus breaks through all of those walls and says, I don't care what you've done or who you think you are. There's a seat at this table for you. And if the church would figure out this one really, really well, the world would start viewing Christians as the most loving, gracious, joyful, and exciting people to be around. But yet we're often referred to as the most judgmental, condemning, damning people group that the world interacts with right now. Because we cannot figure out how to understand Jesus' exclusivity with, his inclus with him being exclusive and inclusive. I can't say those words well, so just give me some grace on that one. We can't figure out the two dynamics, right? They seem to be competing with each other. And so when I told you up front who Jesus is and who he hung out with, right, it wasn't just to list off some cool things Jesus did. Man, people hated Jesus because of who he hung out with and the inclusive process that he offers for everyone. Church, I hope that we as a church, awakened church, can figure out this part right here. So at your MCs, at your parties, at the coffees that you have, when you're grabbing a beer with someone after work, wherever it is, you begin to figure out how do you invite someone into a relationship to meet the life-changing power of Jesus. But we're so quick to want to change their life and have them subscribe to a set of rules in order to meet Jesus. There is no access card. Jesus is the open door for everyone. Number five, this is the last one for us tonight. This is what I get excited about, right? Easter weekend. Jesus is alive. Amen? Jesus is alive. You see, Neil and Jeff both spoke about this in the process. There's something incredibly hard about the Saturday that we're living in right now. Friday and Sunday get a lot of attention through Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. But what we sometimes can forget in this process is that Saturday was void of hope. Maybe you've lost a loved one. 
someone close to you. I've lost a father in my life and many other people in my life that I would say are close friends. So maybe you've experienced death like I have. It causes a significant void in your life when you come face to face with death. Imagine what his followers felt on Saturday. The void of a man who said, I am God, I am perfect, I forgive, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And was crucified. So let's read the story together, right? We're going to transition the rest of our night tonight into celebrating Easter together, right? Because he is alive. So here we go. Luke 24, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went back to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes, and the women were were terrified. They bowed their faces to the ground, and then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be portrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Church, that's why we're here tonight. He is risen. He is alive. And the coolest part about King Jesus is that he's not just alive in the story. He is alive everywhere that you look. You don't need a Bible to tell you that Jesus is alive. The coolest thing about God is that he is everywhere. He is alive when you walk outside and see the sunrise in the morning. Jesus is alive when you have a meal with your family tomorrow and you exchange kind words with someone that you love. Jesus is alive in how you help a stranger. Jesus is alive and how you have a sweet touch from someone who you haven't seen in a long time. You see, we're all created in the image of God, and Jesus knew that very well, well, far better than we understand. And the hope that we have through Easter weekend is that, yes, Jesus is God. He is perfect. He does forgive. He is the only way. But church, the world needs to see a man who is alive and offers transformation. That man offers hope. Easter is about closing that void that existed on Saturday and giving hope to a world. Not through preaching scripture, not through singing songs, not through gathering in MCs, through living a life that is changed by a man who is alive and well. That hope that we celebrate on Easter is something that should cause us to be contagious. It should do something with how we view people around us. The same Jesus who did miracles in the Gospels is still doing miracles today, amen? Jesus is still healing people. He's still healing the sick. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Jesus is still creating relationships. He's still causing brokenness to be mended. He's putting families back together. Jesus is alive. Jesus is doing things in our world right now. And all I'm asking you to do is to open your eyes and see that Jesus is alive. King Jesus did not come just to die on a cross for your sins. That's 100% true. 
but he is alive and living and active through the power of the Holy Spirit. And church, the invitation to you and I is that we get to be a part of that story. But if you don't get excited about Jesus being alive, you are missing something so profound about King Jesus. And this is why I told you up front, man, if you've been going to church your whole life, I want to invite you to meet a real Jesus. Because he's not interested in your church attendance. He's interested in your transformation. He says, I am the way, the way to a new life. I'll teach you what it means to be perfect by teaching you what it means to be whole. I'll teach you not how to be God, but understand it's not about becoming divine. It's about the divine coming to meet you. I'll teach you how the power of forgiveness. And I'll teach you to see where I'm alive and active in the world around you. Church, that's the Easter message. That is the power of hope that closes the void that people feel on Saturday. So when the tomb is rolled away, there is excitement when we say, He is risen. Happy Easter. He's alive. Come on, I love it. He is alive. So stop looking for him in your Bibles and look for him, the people on the streets. Stop waiting for him to speak to you in a worship song and go talk to your neighbor about a man who is alive and active. Church, if we can live like we understand who Jesus is, it transforms everything about us understanding the gospel and the good news. Everything. Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. Jesus forgives. Jesus is the only way. And Jesus is alive. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are king. You are savior. You're creator. You are friend. You're a comforter. You're a savior and messiah. You are king. And God, I pray that you would cause us, peel the scales off our eyes, take the wax out of our ears, help us to see and understand and hear the powerful message of who you are so that we can go emulate your life here today through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that Easter would not just be something we celebrate on a Sunday, but it would change the way we view the world around us. Jesus, you have the power to do that. God, I cannot do that. We cannot do it as a church. We need the power of Jesus, the resurrecting power of Jesus that lives and dwells in us as the church. Jesus, would you open our eyes, cause us to see things differently, make us new and whole. Amen.